Today's scripture lesson comes to us from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verses 41 through 43, continuing on to 44. As he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd pouring money into the treasury, many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me and for me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in a little less than two weeks, we will be observing that rite of passage that we know as Halloween. Although many people think this holiday is an evil celebration. There's actually a heavy observance or a heavy influence from the Christian church. You see, Halloween actually falls on the eve of the Christian holy days of All Hallows Day on November 1st and All Souls Day on November 2nd. Thus the name All Hallows Evening or the shortened version Halloween. The vigil that happens on the night of October 31st was originally intended as a time to remember the saints, also known as the Hallows, the martyrs, and all the faithful departed believers through the use of humor and ridicule to confront the power of death. The customs of trick-or-treating, dressing in costumes, and carving jack-o'-lanterns all had their origins in this practice to confront death and in an effort to stave off the souls of the departed. Trick-or-treating possibly had its roots in a custom called souling, in which groups of poor children would go door-to-door collecting soul cakes, which were baked in remembrance of all the christened souls in exchange for a prayer for the dead, especially for the giver's family and friends. By the end of the 12th century, it was believed that the souls of the dead wandered the earth until All Hallows' Day, and All Hallows' Eve was the last chance for them to exact their vengeance before moving on to the next world. It was thought that costumes would prevent recognition by these vengeful souls. Therefore, people would don masks and costumes in an attempt to disguise their identities and confuse the souls of the dead. Even jack-o'-lanterns were an attempt to confront death and honor the departed souls. Jack-o'-lanterns originally were carved to represent the souls of the dead, and they were lit to guide the souls on the way to the next world and to keep them from haunting the believers who remained behind. Whether you think of Halloween as an evil observance or as a Christian celebration, I think an analysis of our Halloween preparations is an appropriate allegory 
for our stewardship in the church. First, there's the non-participant. In Halloween language, this is the person who finds no reason to participate. There are no witches and black cats adorning the walls, nor are there ghosts hanging in the trees. There are no carved jack-o'-lanterns, and there are no porch lights inviting costume youngsters to knock on the doors. The allegory for the church is obvious. The non-participant is the one who is content to sit in the pews on Sunday, if he or she even makes it that far. There is no envelope dropped in the offering plate, nor check mailed to the office. There is no talent shared with the congregation, and no time given to the workings of the church. The non-participants, for whatever reason, choose to opt out of Halloween and out of the Christian body. Second, there's the only if manipulator. You know the type, the one who promises, I will decorate for Halloween only if you clean your room. The one who says, I will take you trick-or-treating only if your grades are good enough. The only if manipulator averse, I will throw this $20 bill in the plate only if the pastor's sermon is good enough and we sing the right songs. Or I will give of my time only if we do the mission project that I want to do. Then there's the showman, the one that is just in it to show up the neighbors. She doesn't care how many kids come and knock on her door, but she will have at least one of every decoration she can find. Blow up bats and vampires and spooky eyes. Adorn every square inch of her front yard. Even the treats were purchased, not with the intention of giving them to the children, but with the intention of having plenty left over to take to the office on the next day to show how much she really participated. The showman will make as much noise as possible dropping coins into the offering plate and will be sure to let all those in the vicinity know just how large his contribution is. And he makes sure he's involved in every church project just so everyone can see how good he is. Friends, God does not want us to be non-participating only if showmen, stewards of our time, our talents, and our treasures. If we want to be committed disciples of Jesus Christ through our giving, there is a better way. Jesus tells us that we should be like the widow in Mark's parable. We should not be content to sit on the sidelines expecting everyone else to take care of meeting the needs of the faith community. We shouldn't be withholding our gifts until something happens or we get our own way. Nor should we be making a show of what we are doing, judging each other by the noise level of the offering. Rather, if we want to commit our lives to being disciples of Jesus, we first need to commit our hearts to being in the right place, as Mark's widow did. When our hearts are in the right place, we will realize that everything, our time, our talents, our treasures, and our very lives actually belong to God. When our hearts are in the right place, our attitudes will change. 
No longer will we be content to hold our resources hostage until the church meets our demands. No longer will we want to withhold our time from God's service. And no longer will we care that we make our business visible to everyone in the world. Instead, we will have a different story to tell. A story of love and trusting God. It's a story of giving back to God what is his in the first place. The widow in today's scripture realized this. Although in that society she was unloved and vulnerable, a person who had no voice or legal standing or even any resources to live on, the widow loved others more than she loved herself. More importantly, she knew that God was the source of what little she had. And she trusted him to be faithful. She gave all she had to live on because of her love and her trust in God. She believed that God would multiply her meager gift and use it for his work in the kingdom. She gave out of her poverty because she knew that she was utterly and completely dependent on God. The widow was living as one of those whose life depended on being in relationship of complete trust and complete reliance on her God. Brothers and sisters, this is a lesson for us today. Ask yourself, how are you living in your relationship with God? Do you rely on Jesus to get you through each day? Are you able to put your complete trust in him and believe that your needs will be met simply because he loves you? In this parable, Jesus is telling us to do just that. He is imploring us to remember where our gifts and our talents come from. He is calling us to the realization that a relationship with him is what matters. And that is reason enough to give all we can to be used by God. He is calling us to unconditional, humble participation in the kingdom of the one who loves us enough that he gave up his life so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. The point of this parable is not necessarily to give everything that we have to live on, although that may very well be the case. Rather, I think the point is to make sure your giving is for the right reasons. It is a matter of the heart, for that is where you find your treasure, the treasure that is from God and is God. Giving our treasure, as well as our time and talents, is but one step in our journey to become committed disciples of Jesus Christ. So what is the next step you can take? Can you step up giving your time by helping those in need? Will you feed the hungry, clothe the homeless, or visit the ill and the infirm? Will you take the opportunity to become committed disciples of Jesus Christ by sharing your talents with your church and your community, by mentoring a teenager, by baking for the next potluck, by leading a Bible study, 
or even by filling the pulpit on the occasional Sunday. Have you considered how you can become a committed disciple of Jesus Christ through giving of your treasure? If you are giving $5, commit to giving 10 If you are giving 2% of your income, commit to moving closer to a 10% tithe. If you are not giving, commit to looking at your financial picture and determining where or if and where you can make changes, where you need to make changes. Most of all, commit to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ by evaluating the state of your heart. Jesus is calling us toward making a complete and total commitment of ourselves to him and his kingdom. We can take the next step on that journey when we make all that we are and all that we have available to him and to the work of making disciples for the transformation of the world. Friends, this is the good news for us today. We can take that next step in our journey to become committed disciples of Jesus Christ, confident that he will meet our every need as we grow with God, grow with others, and grow in service to the world. Amen and amen.